0: This is Artist Stories, a podcast that centers the experiences of artists whose lives have left a lasting imprint on the Southern Arizona creative ecosystem. I'm Jenny Sanchez, and today we welcome Julius Schlosberg, photographer based in Tucson. Julius, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I would love to just jump in. Do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Ooh. I feel most comfortable describing myself as kind of a community photographer. Mm-hmm. I I work a lot with People who are physically close to me, a lot of um, mm-hmm. small businesses downtown and nonprofits in Tucson. I also do weddings here in town and in, in Southern Arizona in general, uh, as well as uh, landscape photography and mm-hmm. um, fine art photography. I, I run a little dark room out of my house as well.
0: Amazing. I know you're super busy. We've been working with you. We sort of have you very busy as well, you know, in addition to all the other projects and commissions that you're you're doing right now. But I'm really excited about how we've been able to work with you this past year through documentation of public artwork. And I'm excited to share with the community that we've launched our, our new website, and one amazing aspect of the new website is the new photography pieces that Julius has documented throughout the year. And we said that there's 12. We're at 12 right now, Julius. I 12. think we're at 12, yeah. What was it like uh, photographing public art? Was this your first experience?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's been an absolute joy. And it was my first experience photographing public artwork. Um, I've been working for Tucson Museum of Art for years now documenting their gallery installations Mm -hmm. and the architecture there, as well as like events and people's interactions with the art. And it was really fun to move out to these places where, you know, it's sculptural art often uh, and murals that Mm -hmm. are in a a much different place than a museum. And yeah, it it was really wonderful to have the flexibility to kind of choose the day and time to photograph these, you know, when it's like, there's great clouds, I could go out and and I could location scout and it really felt great to kind of study these pieces and connect Mm -hmm. them and to connect with the artists. And, you know, of course, as as an artist, like my interpretation of anyone else's art is going to be subjective, but Mm -hmm. to get to sort of have a deep experience with what their perspective on this place is. Uh, has been really rewarding and and fun uh, and yeah i'm I hope I can do it some more.
0: one thing that uh, the team and I love about receiving your photographs is just the the thoughtful approach we see that time was spent on scouting the location and studying the light and Seeing the transition of of the light from light to dark uh, in many of the pieces was is just absolutely gorgeous. I just I, I would love to know what was there an experience uh, in photographing one of the public art pieces that stood out to you the most?
1: Yeah, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know there were there were a couple of pieces like the Peaceable Kingdom at the zoo and Sonoran Circumvolution out on Kinney and Bop. Both were pretty dramatic transformations when they got lit up at night. Yeah, it was it was really fun to, to be out there documenting, you know, and I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I've really documented the heck out of this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they light up and it's just completely transformed and a whole new scene to like get to view and document. Um, yeah, really fun, especially Sonoran or Circumvolution. You know, it's out there on the border of Tucson Mountain Park where, you know, we're so lucky to live in a place where 15 minutes from the center of the city, you get into the next step down in in sky darkness Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. stars and the Milky Way become, you know, super clear. And so it was really cool to see it juxtaposed with the stars in the beautiful lighting that was designed into it. That was really fun. And another cool sort of transportive of experiences one with one of the pieces was uh, my friend Adam Cooper Tehran mm-hmm. who does a myriad of of things in a myriad art communities in Tucson to learn that one of the pieces I was documenting they had actually helped paint like 20 years ago and mm-hmm. so it was just really fun to imagine them as a teenager working on that piece um, and Yeah, and then like their growth over the years uh, was really cool.
0: Amazing. Well, we're so grateful for this collaboration and we just, we look forward to continuing. (laughs) So yeah, if you get a chance, please check out our new website and you can see the really brand new images of of many public art pieces around Tucson. So Julius, I would love to jump back in time, if you will, and get to know you. Before you knew you wanted to be a full-time creator, artists, How did you get to this moment?
1: Yeah, I've always been, you know, done some sort of art, even if it's tangential to like the main drive of my life. But, you know, as a kid, I I did a, a ton of origami, which I still enjoy doing to this day. And I saved up for a long time and, and bought a little film camera when I was a kid, um, like this Minolta SLR. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to make night Photographs of Comet hale if folks remember that one. Yeah, and then I sort of let it go, but I also picked up playing the drums and started... And when I moved out to Tucson, I was dating somebody who was really great at photography, and she taught me a ton. And I sort of started getting back into photography as I moved... Out here to Tucson, just as a hobby. And mm-hmm. I started bringing my camera to shows where I was playing drums and making night pictures. And at that point, I had, you know, just like a cheap lens from the 1960s as all manual focus. And it was wow. really hard to use. And especially <laughs> with the with the DSLR camera. Yeah, it's. I'm just not very good at, at manual focusing, but I did a lot, you know? Yeah, and I would, like, bring it on tour, and then eventually people started asking me, like, oh, hey, can you bring your camera to my show? And, and then people started asking me, like, oh, can you do some photos with my band? And okay. at some point, my friend Emily reached out and asked me to document a watershed management group, Mesquite Pancake Breakfast, okay. and I had sort of been playing with the idea of making this a professional thing but you know i'd read so many articles about like you know don't quit your day job to be a photographer (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i I had a lot of trepidation but i wasn't even charging money back then to take pictures and that was the first time i was like could i get paid for this and i think that that mesquite pancake breakfast with watershed management group like Mm -hmm. six years ago or seven years ago was the first time somebody paid me to come out and uh make pictures at their event and Shortly after that, I quit my job and 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 somehow everything kind of worked out. And I've I've that's where I've been ever since. And it's been such a joy to get to explore photography in this town where there's like, yeah, so many wonderful people, so many th- beautiful things happening to get to make pictures of. That yeah, I I feel very lucky and grateful. Mm,
0: that's incredible. Uh, I mean. You do so much, Julius. I, you know, you have your fine art practice, and you know, then there's this, like I think you described it as a gradient. Of your commercial photography from documenting landscapes for the watershed management groups, and Northern Institute, and the Arizona Water Land and Water Trust, which is it's so incredible. Mm-hmm. But also working with museums in Tucson, and you know, portraiture and. Weddings. How have you developed this repertoire, right, of (laughs) photography jobs over the over the gosh? And I can't believe it's only been six years. It's
1: it feels like it's been like two days Mm -hmm. at the same time. It feels like it's been like forever. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, it's hard for me to even like understand how I got here too. I I, I feel so. Like lucky to get to do all these things, and I think it's sort of like yeah, the gradient exists between you know my my personal practice where I interact with no other human beings and I just go out by myself into areas you know often at night. Uh, I love being out in the desert at night. All through my twenties, I had uh, like a really severe phobia of the dark, and I actually like went to therapy for years for it and. And it's sort of like being out in the desert at night is part of my like ongoing continuation of trying to deal with that. And Mm -hmm. there's something about the desert at night that is just indescribably sublime and Mm -hmm. beautiful and it's transportive. It feels like you're, it feels like you're in like an underwater wonderland. Yeah. Those are like deeply personal experiences. And then on the other end of that are these experiences like a, like a wedding that is All about connection with other human beings, you know, and of course, also their juxtaposition and relationship with the place in which the wedding is happening. And I feel like as photographers, you know, we're often tasked with, you know, expressing something that in in a method that's not I don't want to say like inauthentic, but, you know, like if I'm working with the business college, the Eller Business School, like which I absolutely love uh, working with them. But, you know, we try to convey certain ideas and sometimes I'll set up a portrait to convey two people meeting and they're not actually meeting for the first time. You know, we set it up and like they're authentically having fun and the smiles are real, but they're not actually meeting. But a wedding is, you know, some of the most intimate moments of people's lives, some of the most authentic joy and also thoughts about the future and pensiveness and introspection. Like all of these things are are going through people's mind and experience and you get invited in to document that and like what an incredible joy to get to do that as a photographer to be there for these moments like that so that's sort of like the other end of the gradient from the like exclusively personal experience and this like shared experience where it's all about connection and yeah and so i think it's sort of like a gradient in between those those two things that encompass my professional and personal practice
0: I love how you describe that um speaking of which what you know weddings you just returned from a job in Guatemala yeah. documenting a wedding how how did that go
1: that was amazing and it's it's fun because the through line from that was the first wedding that I ever did in Tucson like solo I was second photographer for Nikki ratty and I I did my own first wedding which is Abby and Colleen and Abby's stepsister was the person who was getting married in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I got a text from Abby saying, "Would you ever photograph a wedding in Guatemala?" <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. uh, "Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got to have this incredible experience in this beautiful place with this Tucson connection and also this just in this Absolutely breathtaking place, you know, surrounded by active volcanoes. And yeah, and an incredible centuries-old city. It was amazing. Yeah, I can't believe that's where this has led me.
0: I would love to know more about your influences as an artist. Also, any mentors that come to mind?
1: One of my closest friends who's at KXCI uh, Mm -hmm. is uh, Hannah Levine. And I've been working with her to make videos for KXCI for years now and i don't i don't do video outside of that project but just working with her and brainstorming and scheming and seeing the way that she interacts with artists and interviews people has taught me so much about my practice really drove driven me to get better at the things that i feel make me a better photographer and and documenter i have a friend named daniel diaz who does a lot of public art installations, but he also has a personal art practice. It's really inspiring to see how he is like, he's a very disciplined person, which I really admire his personal life and practice. He also like pushes me to pursue, you know, whatever idea I have.
0: There's something really painterly about your work. How would you describe your aesthetic and your photographic style? How has it changed over the years?
1: Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And I there's a movement in photography that started in like the 1870s-ish and up through like 1920s called Pictorialism, which was this movement to make pictures painterly, I guess, for lack of a, a, another word. There were all kinds of like techniques and Methods to use that, but I think a lot of it came down to studying Dutch masters and paintings and seeing what the light that they painted looked like and kind of replicating that and also going for sort of this soft, dreamy kind of aesthetic. And then on the total opposite end of that is people like Ansel Adams, who I guess arguably would be like the exact antithesis of the pictorialist movement, who... I mean, I know it's like very cliche to be like, I love Ansel Adams as a photographer, but, you know, he was so into like this technical aspect of photography of, you know, what in this scene do I want to be the blackest black that my paper can represent and the whitest white and where's the gradients fall in between those two points and how will they appear on the paper? And with that in mind, how can I make beautiful art while authentically representing what's in front of me? I really love the technical aspects. Mm-hmm and diving into that and kind of getting obsessed with that and I also really really love making things look dreamy and Mm. kind of surreal you know and you know there's what we see which is you know quote-unquote reality but what we feel is so subjective and and is so like sometimes can be very disconnected from reality you know like walking around in the desert at night you know when you point your flashlight and there's a bunch of eyes staring at you and it's kind of creepy but also like sublimely beautiful it's very difficult to represent that with with just a pure rote representation of a scene that's in front of you there's ways to interpret scenes uh that really evoke the feelings and so Mm -hmm. yeah i think getting obsessed with both of those Mm -hmm. both of those like intentions in photography has kind of led me to where my aesthetic is now if that makes sense it absolutely
0: does (laughs) i mean i think that's what keeps us like coming back for more right because Mm -hmm. there is this magical essence that you bring to a a doc of documentation right we're like okay we we need to see all angles then there's this subjective feeling that i think everybody has gets a different experience um, and we get that from your your photography. I love your, just your description of your intentions. I see it and <laughs> I feel it <laughs> as well.
1: Well, it's an honor to get to to work on these projects with you.
0: Julius. what advice do you have for up and coming artists, right, who are thinking about taking that leap of faith?
1: Uh, I'll be honest, it's still scary. Uh, <laughs> and I think uh, if it's not scary, I don't know. I, I think it would be weird for it to not be scary uh, to make that that leap, but also that trepidation. You know, and and think I feel like things in life that are worthwhile doing are very often dis discomforting and scary. And yeah, so it was really scary. But I think you know I have a tendency to get totally obsessed with things that interest me, and I think that's a trait that I see shared among a lot of artists. Yeah, I think like getting obsessed. And, and following your obsessions and letting them take you where they take you is really important, especially when you're first starting out in an art practice or, you know, some sort of creative profession. Like, I do a lot of architecture these days, and I don't think that's something that I saw myself doing a lot of uh, when I first started, but just exploring different, different things, you know, it started with just going out and walking around downtown Tucson and making pictures often at night, you know, just carrying a tripod and a camera around and just wandering and letting myself get obsessed with with things. And same with, you know, I do a lot of work with film and these old printing processes from the 1800s. And getting obsessed with that mm-hmm. sort of leads you back to like, you know like it's it's great for like portraiture and so that sort of leads you to like okay if i'm doing these processes from the 1800s like what was the lighting like mm. in portraiture from the 1800s and then that leads you back to you know like the dutch masters of course right. and um you know there, there's all these little avenues that you can follow and i think it's important to follow them you know i think when you're starting out in in photography At least, you know, that's what I can speak to is, you know, you could be like, I'm going to be a a portrait photographer and just do portraiture. And maybe you like start doing portraiture and that's like you're like amazing at it and that's like it and you're you're set. But there's so many aspects of photography, like there's the landscape, there's architecture, you know, which architecture has a 3000 year history built up around it uh, and vocabulary that. Mm that is there for the exploration of anybody, you know, and same with portraiture, you know, there's maternity, there's babies, there's bar mitzvahs, you know, like Mm -hmm. all these things that you can explore. And I think it's important to, to do that and to like let yourself wander, especially at the beginning. I'm only just now sort of starting to, to pare down a little bit and really kind of focus on fewer and fewer things you know I stopped doing video every now and then I would do a maternity session and I'm like you know what I'm actually not a maternity photographer I love doing Mm -hmm. it but there are people who are way better at it than I am and but it's taken me six years to realize that I'm not I'm not going to be a maternity photographer and that's totally okay yeah like you don't have to
0: do everything right
1: yeah you don't have to do anything but you shouldn't stop yourself from trying anything and Mm -hmm. everything I love
0: that
1: to add to that uh, another important thing is like i work with a lot of people in town um and i have a pretty varied like group of people that i work with and i think one thing that i found that's really helpful is to just like be as helpful as you possibly can with whatever project you're working on you know like being easy to work with and Mm -hmm. being communicative and photography is one aspect of whatever project it is that you're working on you know like if if I'm working on a project like with the Arts Foundation, you know, like the photography is like a small detail in the broader scheme of public art as as a photographer or as an artist, like if you can try and figure out how you fit in and like how the photographs can be the most useful to whoever you're working with. I think that's really an important aspect of it. And, and is really helpful in just building connection in your, in your community and just you know, finding a place within your community.
0: Absolutely. I I love that advice. I want to, I've been wanting to ask you this as well. I know you're so deeply embedded in the community in many different aspects, like activism, the art world, like, you know, commercial. If you didn't pick up a camera in the first place, what do you think you'd be doing right now?
1: When I quit my job, that job was, I was a computer systems admin and, uh, systems architect. The aspect of that that I really enjoyed was being creative. You know, I taught myself—I don't know—half a dozen programming languages over the years. I was—I had that career for a decade.
0: Wow.
1: I really enjoyed modifying open source programs and building robots. I built a little oh. robot to feed my cat. Uh, At one point with like its own website where you could make an account and you could feed my cat from anywhere in the world.
0: It's like interactive artwork. That's like like social practice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so I I would think that um, I'd probably be hopefully doing something creative. By the end of my IT career, I was at a company that had gotten bought out by a holdings corporation, which had then got bought out by like a giant multinational corporation with – after I left, they got bought out by a multinational corporation where the like wikipedia like controversies section oh, okay. on them was bigger than most wikipedia articles and so I for sure would not have been there and it got a little claustrophobic creatively at that position by the end um so I'm not sure what I'd be doing, but probably something with creative programming i would I would think
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, man. I did not know that about you. <laughs> that's so uh, incredibly interesting. What are you working on right now? Is there a project in the horizon or in the works you would like to tell us about?
1: Sure. I'm working on... I haven't really talked about this with, with too many people. For the past uh, couple years, I've been amassing a collection of scattered notes and thousands of photographs, all of which are in total disarray. But it, with the intention of compiling a trail guide to my favorite trails in Tucson Mountain Park um which is one of my favorite places on the whole planet i think the David Yetman trail is oh. just such a gem uh i i always return to it it's always stunningly beautiful and yeah so that's something that i've been slowly working on that i will continue to slowly work on i'm i'm trying to figure out how to make space in my life to maybe set aside some time to really put some focused energy into that project and then a number of smaller like technical projects like i do these these 1800s era historic printing processes where i make my own photographic paper and the key to that is that i i can either scan my negatives or i can take a digital picture and print out a negative with with ink on a, a sheet of plastic and make a new negative from a digital file. But I would love to be able to take a small negative and make it into a big negative without using a computer. And that turns out to be a really difficult process without a lot of the materials that they stopped making in the 1990s. And so, yeah, I've sort of been developing some technical processes to make big negatives so I can make really giant cyanotypes and Mm. salted paper prints, which is... Yeah, another ongoing very slow process.
0: That's so incredibly interesting. I love, you know, learning about your IT background and then how you are developing like new processes and investigating ways to employ early photographic processes in a time period where the technology isn't produced anymore. I just find <laughs> that like Uh, that spectrum so vast and interesting and so there's so much possibility in there so thanks for sharing that I can't wait to see what how this project turns out and just where your investigations lead you super exciting I'm I'm
1: excited too and I, I, I really like to like I think every artist experiences this in some way of like you know I'm working with processes and reading technical documents from the late 1800s early 1900s and You get to be like in communication with artists from, you know, a century, centuries ago, you know, and as as a painter, as a as a woodcutter, whatever you do, like you're participating in something that is very old and you're in communication with people now. But you're also Mm -hmm. receiving information from people from you know so long ago and it's i think that's so amazing that i don't know like part of your community almost becomes people who lived long ago which which i don't know i just i always really love that aspect of of photography in particular um you know getting to see like or for example like the library in bisbee like there's a composition where standing right in front of what now is the convention center in bisbee looking up main street with the library on the left. Like mm-hmm. if you go into the library on the top floor, that photo, people have been taking that picture for like right. 150 years. Yeah, And it's so cool. Cause you can go and take that picture and see like what your perspective is. And like Steven Meckler has like a stunning perspective on that photograph. Um, like, yeah, it's just, it's really cool to be in communication across place and time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and light, right? Yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) Oh, so beautiful. Well, I maybe this is a good point to go into our random question segment. Okay. (laughs) Okay. If you could time travel, (laughs) what point in history would you go to, and who would you want to talk to?
1: I frequently fantasize about maybe this is (laughs) maybe I'm going a little bit out of scope, but like if you could, like. Stand in a place, and like speed up time, like standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon five hundred thousand years ago, and and make every one hundred years become a second, and okay. just stand time there lapse. and and watch. Yeah, oh, wow. like yeah. I think that oh would God. be. I don't know. I I when I'm in a place like that, that's what I think about, you know. Okay. Or like the, you know, the t- Tucson. Like what we think of as the Tucson Valley, it's not the bottom of this valley. Like the ground here is the infill of debris coming off of the Catalinas and the Tucsons, you know, and filling up (laughs) into this basin that actually goes way lower. And so like, you know, if you could stand at the top of the Catalinas and watch for Mm. 100,000 years, like the Tucson Valley, like fill up and the, you know, whatever happened with the Tucson mountains, like, you know, there's like a geologic discontinuity. So it's like unclear what happened, you know, just, I love just fantasizing about watching those things happen. Uh,
0: I love your answer to this question because it's like, (laughs) let me make my own like time (laughs) machine, like question. (laughs) Thinking about your experience with computer coding and and then with photography, of course, I feels like that's a, a project, a digital photography project, installation, programming. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. AI, I don't know, super <laughs> technology thing that was just conceptualized. So I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs>
1: Heck it, yeah. It, I just
0: have that visual now of the Grand Canyon, like for me over <laughs> all those years. Okay, we'll go to the next one. If you could have a superpower, what would it be?
1: Hmm. I yeah I'll go back into cliche land and say that flying would be yeah would be a pretty pretty wonderful superpower if if I'm gonna be yeah just purely for the joy of having a superpower
0: and then taking your camera with you right? <laughs> yeah yeah that would be
1: great yeah I uh, I I've, I've, I only just got my drone license but I oh, wow. can't stand the sound of those things and I can't stand using it mm. uh, and. I much prefer to uh, to walk to wherever I need to make a picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if I could fly, that would be great, too. Right,
0: right. <laughs> Human drone. All right. The next question is, what brand of camera are you using?
1: Ah, um, I really like the uh, Fujifilm cameras. Okay. I've been using them since I started my career. I don't, I'm very much of the opinion that, like, Every camera brand right now is incredible. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Canon, Sony, right. Olympus, uh, Nikon. Like they're all amazing. Like it's really hard to go wrong. I like Fuji because they have dials for the shutter speed and the ISO and the aperture. Mm-hmm. You know, ring is still on the lenses. And so especially if I'm at like a wedding or something, going from like inside to outside really quick, I can make really quick and accurate swings in my exposure in the exact ways that I need to without fumbling and like holding this button down and turning a a dial or something. They're also very budget friendly, which I really appreciate as a working professional like and yeah, and you can get phenomenal lenses for very little money. Um but all the other brands these days too have new m- new mirrorless options that are okay. also budget friendly, so uh, yeah. And I I use, you can't go wrong. (laughs) I think it's really hard to go wrong these days. And I think it's just, yeah. Finding, you know, like how you want to use a camera, you know, like how do you use your cell phone camera and, and seeing like, okay, like this is what I like to make pictures of. Like if you like taking portraits, then maybe get a camera that, that isn't that great for landscapes but that has like amazing Mm -hmm. autofocus you know Mm -hmm. and and just get a portrait like you don't need a zoom lens to make pictures like just get a portrait lens you know and and explore and then it turns out like a portrait lens is also great great landscape lens Mm -hmm. uh you know Mm -hmm. like these like telephoto lenses but also cell phones are (laughs) incredible (laughs) cameras too you know like Yeah. yeah i'm i'm a big fan of the old adage of like the best camera that you could possibly have is the one that you have with you right now um, mm-hmm. wherever you are and so
0: okay last question uh, if you could just like transport teleport to a landscape yeah. anywhere in the world right now yeah. where would you go <laughs>
1: there is a mountain range in china i think one of the mountains is uh huangshan i forget the name of the oh the yellow mountains yeah so if if you google the yellow mountains you know, the, like, the movie Avatar, I think... Was it the movie Avatar? I think so. Was, like, in this landscape where it's, like, these totally jagged, gigantic mountains that just, like, rise up into the clouds. And, uh, yeah, they it just... They look, like, totally fantastical, totally surreal. Yeah, just really breathtaking. And I've always wanted to go hike up there you can like you can hike up and there's like tents that you can rent and I'm
0: looking at them now I had to google them yeah
1: (laughs) like so incredible so like whimsical yeah and I I really if I could like just teleport somewhere I would love to teleport to the yellow mountains
0: Man, thanks for sharing that sure (laughs) amazing well Julius this has been such a pleasure thank you for taking the time to join us on artist stories and i just look forward to continue to work with you and yeah we just feel really lucky to be in community with you so thank you
1: the feeling is very mutual thank you so much (laughs) this has been such a joy
0: this has been Artist Stories featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. Music for this podcast was created by Jonathan Rodriguez.